Welcome back to Podcast 25 of 2022. I'm your host, Kiev O'Neill. You can follow me on Twitter at OBKiev. Follow the Osbreakers. Follow us on social media slash the Osbreakers. This episode is being brought to you by MyBookie.ag. For a 100% sign-up bonus, please visit MyBookie and use the promo code the odds breakers, terms, conditions, and location apply. If you'd like to help us out with a cost sponsor of the website, the podcast, we'd love to help you out. Please visit theodsbreakers.com, click shop, and become a member. Pick any of our premium handicappers to get their plays before the line moves. You can also donate to us on patreon.com. And if nothing else, please visit theodsbreakers.com and become a free picks newsletter subscriber. The final four is among us, my friends. And I must say, I'm kicking myself a little bit going back to one of our bracket shows where I said I could see North Carolina beating Baylor in this game. <laughs> you know, obviously, I didn't have a bracket where North Carolina was in my final four. Probably, probably not even in the Elite Eight. Maybe I had one of them or something like that. But very, very interesting situation because most brackets didn't have the most common teams in the final four. Now we are all kicking ourselves looking at Duke. North Carolina, Villanova, and Kansas in the Final Four. So uh, congrats to those who did have those three teams in the Final Four. I think I had one bracket with three of those four teams, but Arizona, unfortunately, was the other one, and I had them winning it all. So no rewards for me there. But more importantly, these are going to be some great games, and Kyle Hunter is joining me on Better Odds Sports Betting to talk about these two monstrous matchups can't wait to get into that and then a little bonus for you guys today i've been working on the nfl yes it's never too early to look at the nfl it's the biggest sport gets lots of attention i completed my pythagorean win percentage from the 2021 season so i can't wait to bring ron ace sports to talk about that if you don't know Ron, he is an NFL guru that has been in the sports betting field for quite a while now, and I just cannot wait to dig into these Pythagorean win totals and what they mean to you, what they should mean to you, as well as the marketplace and how we can apply them as a part of the function to predict what happens for next year's season. Before we get those guys on, wanted to talk to you about a little housekeeping. Yes, we are going down to one podcast a week. Well, at least I am. And uh, it's it's summertime, right? It's it, it, I, I actually get a breather now. <laughs> the NCAA tournament is almost over. So um, it's, it's not so much a breather as in it's not as hectic as a football and college basketball season. I still do light baseball. I still do UFC, which is pretty much every single weekend. That has been my bread and butter over the summer. But over the break, I take the time and I work on the website. Uh, I work on some cleanup issues with the odds breakers. And I prepare for college football and NFL all summer long with some future plays 
as well as season win totals for our premium subscribers. And obviously, we give a few out on this podcast as well. So uh, podcast is going to be airing once a week. I'm guessing it's probably going to be most likely a Thursday podcast. It's probably going to come out on Wednesday. And um, Thursday is probably the, the day that you would get it in the morning. Obviously, we're still going to have great guests all throughout the summer. About the end of July is where we're going to start moving up to two podcasts and even sometimes three a week coming into NFL preseason and college football. So that's our schedule here. And I'm somewhat excited for a break. And I'm also excited to invest more time into the UFC, which is a great sport that keeps growing and growing and growing. As we shift to baseball season, we have some great baseball cappers already releasing content on our site. Obviously, you already know Chris Farley. Sean Kanaki is putting out some great previews for each division in baseball in the American League and the National League. I've been reading every one of them. He's doing a fantastic job. Very proud of Sean right there. He's one of the best baseball guys I know, and so is Nick hub he's pounding out some great articles and great information nick has always been locked into baseball nick's probably one of his favorite sports if not his favorite sport he can probably tell you that uh loving his content as well so we have you covered over here at the oddsbreakers.com wanted to remind you all as well if you are an experienced handicapper and want to get involved in the oddsbreakers.com we would love to hear from you we cover most sports but some do not get as much coverage as we would like. So please feel free to reach out to us at theoddsbreakers.com or on our Twitter handle at theoddsbreakers. If you are an experienced handicapper and have some records to show, always willing to welcome people that will work hard and put out some great content for our fantastic listeners and readers over at the Oddsbreakers and the Oddsbreakers website. All right. Well, without further ado, let's get into some better odds sports betting with Mr. Kyle Hunter and get into this awesome blue-blooded Final Four that we'll get to watch on Saturday as well as the potential championship matchup on Monday. Welcome to Better Odds Sports Betting. Here's our host, Kiev O'Neill and Kyle Hunter. Well, here we are, Kyle. Hope you're doing well. Welcome, everybody, to the show. Better Odds Sports Betting, our final show-ish for a while we're going to take a break uh after this and uh you know kind of do some shows randomly throughout the summer but kyle um had, had a fantastic time doing this with you i mean we start right at the beginning of football season when you end up you know seven eight months later at the end of basketball season uh, i want to tell you how how great of a insights i've gotten from you and just how fun it was and want to thank you for that man Oh, man, you know, I, I share the same thoughts here. You know, we always have a good time doing this. I think both of us enjoy this show a lot, and we help each other with our thoughts on on uh, the games and stuff. We've kind of put each other on winners several times. That's always nice to to go back and say, oh, I'm glad I got those thoughts. And I hope listeners have been able to get the same from this. Uh, 
you know, maybe we'll have to do a, like an NFL draft show or something. Like <laughs> yeah, I know yeah. we did that last year and that, that went well. So maybe we'll do something like that. But everybody stay tuned. We'll do some one-offs and, you know, we'll do, be doing free picks. Kiev will do some. I'll do some. Uh, we may have some other people on here as well. So uh, we will have things coming up. And, and Kiev, it won't be that long before it's, you know, football season again. <laughs> I know. It sure sneaks up on you quick. But we got baseball now, man. And I uh, see my Cubs head here. It's uh it's time to start. Not that I'm uh, bullish on the Cubs, by no means am I, and maybe in a little bit in the beginning, and they're probably going to be fade city. But I do have some angles now. I've done some research this week. I was able to catch up a little bit, and uh, I'm not going to give out any premium plays, but I will give you a hint. I am fading Houston in their division this year, and that's all you need to know uh, when it comes to baseball. But you do a great job at baseball, too, and uh, we have a good time doing it throughout the summer. So you and I keep going. It's just a little bit easier of a load on both of us with the college winding down. But, man, I, I tell you, I, I always like to look at, at the last show and look at what we could have done better, maybe, maybe some – Maybe some stuff that we overreacted on, or something throughout the season, and then and we also like to mention, you know, stuff that I did good through uh, throughout the season or towards the end of the season. So, you know, just as a learning experience, none of us are perfect. I think it's nice to point that out and get it out in the open uh, to try to improve on. And um, I'll go first. I, I had a terrible start to basketball, Kyle. Um, I, it was November and December. I think I was down like 40 units in college basketball. It was literally NFL and college football that was keeping me afloat during that time. And I, I think I jumped the gun a little bit, made too many plays and did too much guessing. Now there was bad beats involved and there always is. And I think I also had some bad luck, which you can't adjust for, but it was a large chunk and it took me a long time to get it back. Thank goodness this March, I'm having a, a, one of the best marches I've had. Uh, to get that back, you know, and get everything right. But um, I got to tell you, I, I think I learned to try to wait a little bit, even if the efficiency sites have numbers because they're not always right, and uh, uh, play a little bit less of a guessing game and, and, and put on a smaller load for me. Um, so that's something I learned, and uh, I'm going to apply that next year. I, even though we did research, um, it, there's never enough research that can be done for some of the surprises that we get. And so I've learned uh, that that's what I'm going to do for next year. What about you? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's been a successful season for me in college basketball. Uh, I was just looking at my results here as you were talking. Uh, 146 and 114 this year, 56%. Uh, a really solid season in Kiev. Both you and I have had a great march. I mean, this has been a really good finish to the season. Uh, you know, I'll have my fingers crossed here because, you know, we have a couple plays left, of course, and, <laughs> and I hope to end it strong. But it's been a good season nonetheless. One thing that I've done uh, this season is really look closely at what months I've done better at and what months I've been weaker at. Kiev, year after year, I've done the worst in either January or February, the middle of the season. Um, I generally do well at the beginning of the season. I generally do well at the end of the season. Somewhere in the middle of the season is, is when things go south. I'm going to look into that a little bit more, but uh, February was my worst month this year, and then March has been a really good bounce back. I was up quite a bit, gave almost all of it back, and then I've had a really good run here at the end. Uh, one thing I've done better this year is I've played a lot less sides and focused on totals. You know, I'm, I'm definitely better at totals than I am sides. The only sides that I seem to have success with is these NIT and smaller, uh, the conference tournaments, the NIT at the end of the season, uh, because we can see motivational edges and things like that. But 
as far as things that that I'll look forward to, I think I will try to pare back the volume even a little bit more in January and February for me because I've done worse during that time and then pick the volume back up in March because uh, there are a lot of angles for those conference tournaments. And then in, in March Madness, these are matchups that don't usually happen. It's not like, you know, the second matchup of teams that know each other really well in the conferences, which seems to be a bit of a struggle for me. So I'm going to try to uh, make those adjustments and, you know, overall really happy with the season. And uh, I'm glad that both of us are having a great March here. Yeah, totally get it, man. And uh, I guess if, if we're going to go to what I did good, I think I was able to sniff out some stuff in the in the February range. Not that I had a great February, but what I was able to do is kind of get on some bubble teams, you know, a little bit earlier and catch a few teams in the market. Um, I, I think that kind of helped me kind of come above the go above the hump here, finding teams that are have the talent but didn't put it together before, kind of like Memphis. You know, uh, they were very injured, but I knew they had the talent. North Carolina is a great example. A uh, couple other teams I was able to get on. And uh, just try to stay away from some some spots where the team might have overachieved throughout the year because they're playing out of their mind, like maybe the Baylors, and not weren't quite as good as what they were. So I, I found success doing that. And another thing I did good, and we both probably did good, is it was when March came, you know, we looked at the arenas. We made our decisions on totals well. Uh, totals killed me earlier and I got a lot better at it but I think looking at the the tournament the first couple rounds were all about the dogs and the obviously the elite eight I I didn't do great in the elite eight there I only had four bets but I did so well before because I called out the fraudulent teams like the Illinois you know uh, uh when Duke was a dog I was like what you know there's I, I made some smart decisions there but in the Elite Eight, it's all about the the winners, the, the the teams that are ready to play, the ones with the talent. And then you saw St. Peter's get blown out, and obviously Miami eventually got blown out that second half. So um, something to keep in mind, I think, for me. But um, I, that's what that's what I test my success to is uh, sniffing out the the frauds in the, in the tournament. And and when I say frauds, not that they shouldn't have made sixty four teams. I'm just saying they shouldn't be laying eight, ten, twelve points. So uh, a couple of those money line sprinkles were really nice on St. Peter's. As well yeah i was gonna say you you had some money line sprinkles that really came through for you some really big underdogs that was, that was those were really nice plays and uh you've talked about it a lot in the past kiev about how you know if you're taking that plus nine or ten you got to put a little bit on the money line because there is enough variance in the college basketball game that those hit uh fairly often i think money line sprinkles make more sense in college basketball and college football than they do in a sport like the nba um, you know, obviously weird things happen in any league, but college basketball, we saw the Peacocks make that run. I mean, uh, we knew they were going to have a, a spot where they finally ended up getting blown out, but uh, they made people a lot of money before they got blown out. That's for sure. So that's what makes this uh, tournament so much fun too. Kiev is that, you know, we see these underdogs come through and yet uh, my wife said to me the other day and she's totally right. She said, I, I love these upsets in March madness. My wife's a big basketball fan. And she says, but, now we end up with these four teams. There's like, you know, I mean, these <laughs> the ultimate blue blood teams. But I do think it's going to make it a fun final four. You know, I, yeah. I think um, as far as the the season overall, um, I'm looking forward to kind of breaking down the strengths and weaknesses a bit more. And 
And Kiev and I even, you know, talk off air sometimes and we're able to help each other out with things that, you know, maybe Kiev's better at, things that I'm better at. It's one of the the uh, things that's good about networking with other people in the industry that are sharp. So, uh, you know, shout out also to Sports Wagering University where where we have a community of people that, that really, um, you know, we all have our strengths. You know, some people are really good at NBA. Some people are really good at college basketball. We're going to have more classes on that coming up. Uh, I, I guess that was a shameless plug there, but, but um, that's okay. I'm allowed to do that. Oh, yeah. um, we, we, uh, we, we have a nice community of people that we can share information with. And I think that that's something that all betters should do is look to people that you respect and be okay with sharing some notes and saying, you know, here's what I'm coming up short on. Here's what I'm doing strongly on. And uh, you know, then you can help each other out. You know, it's all in the end, we're all trying to make money and beat the books. Yeah, you can really put yourself in a tough situation mentally if you try to grind everything out yourself. Maybe a, a, a buddy of yours is really good at a sport, and instead of like you having to go through all the analytics, you kind of see what he likes that day, just cap those plays itself, maybe look at a couple other ones, and then make your decision by sniffing out bad lines. You know, that's a strategy that people use as well. So completely agree. And yeah, Sports Wagering University is something I look forward to becoming very big because I just want to help people beat the books, and so do you, Kyle, and that's why you're one of the, the uh, creators of this fantastic idea. And, uh, you know, the, I, I'm just so excited for what it has to bring just the general public and uh, throughout the rest of this year and obviously in the future. So real excited about that. But getting into these Blue Bloods, Kyle, I, I wish that I filled my bracket out before the season started because <sighs> even though I know that some some of these teams might have been in the same uh, quadrant, I, I still probably would have had a better bracket with Duke, North Carolina, Villanova, and Kansas in my final four than I did, you know, kind of coming in, trying to fade those teams. Um, and yeah, I, everyone had Kansas in their final four. So that was just, I, I attacked it with Iowa, of course. I think a lot of other people did that or Auburn. And that's where I really got burned in my bracket. But no surprise here, no blue buds. But I got to tell you, it sure makes for some exciting basketball here uh and i think we're gonna have a fantastic final four and kyle they are gonna be playing in the mercedes-benz superdome in new orleans and uh if people want to look at the background here that's the background i actually chose here and uh, you can see how big it is um this is i have a green screen obviously but um, i'm trying to just kind of get a visual of you know what what these kids are going to see you can't see the court here but it's massive right the, the court's so small behind me so you know i i think this is going to factor into their shooting have you done any research on the arena i have um there's been three games played here and those were in the final four in the championship game in 2012 all three of those games went under the total one by five and a half points the others by double digits so um, they went under consistently. I believe the final game in that one was Kentucky and Kansas. Kentucky winning. Um, Ohio State was in the final four and lost to Kansas, I believe. And then all of those games went under the total. Now, three games, this is uh, it's tough to make too much out of, as you know. Having said that, it makes sense that this would be a bad shooting backdrop. I mean, as you said, this is a massive football dome. It's one of the biggest ones there is. And they're going to put a basketball court on it. I can only imagine the people that are sitting at the very top here, Kiev, you know, paying a lot of money to get in there. I don't know how they're going to see the game. I mean, you know, it's going to be really hard. 
uh, I want to go to the final four, but if I, if I go to the final four, I want to actually be able to see the game. So uh, I think that uh, this is one where it would be an under venue. The thing that makes it challenging here, Kiev, is the odds makers do know that. The, these numbers are set lower than they would have been in a regular venue. Uh, it's hard to find massive value here. We're not going to find one where you or I thought the total should be 10 points off of what it is. It's just not going to happen this time of the year. Um, that's out the window. We try to get small edges to do the best we can. But I, I do think that this would be an under venue. I want to say real quick before we move on to the final four, it's hard to come up with too many great um, angles for it. There's only so many games, right? You know, it's the final four. It's just two games. The The favorite is 17, 14, and one against the spread in the last 32. But favorites of six or more um, have not done well. I believe they're three and six. So it's the short favorites that have done well here uh, in the final four. I don't know what that means to this this year. I wouldn't bet solely based on that information by any means, but uh, kind of interesting to see. And as you're talking here, Kiev, I'll, I'll pull up and see what the over-unders look like in the final four too. Oh, no problem. And I'll share my screen here. This is the DraftKings, and you have uh, Nova, pretty much a four-and-a-half-point dog total at 133 and you have North Carolina plus four and the total is at 151 so obviously two way different perspectives from a uh, looking at the totals of these games you have one that's gonna be a slow grinded out game and one that could be a fast-paced game but that also doesn't mean that they're gonna hit a ton of shots so just wanted to uh, throw that out there but Kyle you know I think the first game is Villanova versus Kansas here at 309 pacific time on saturday you know hopefully you get your all your chores done by then because these games are going to be fantastic but i noticed you're wearing your villanova hat so i wonder if that's a tell on any angles or direction you're going to go with this game so why don't you uh, if you found the information on the arena uh, go ahead on the total otherwise let's get started i you know what i'm the uh, source i'm using is moving slowly so I'll, I'll have this before we're done but i'm not ready yet I'll talk about the Nova game first here. Let's. Um, I'm wearing a Nova hat because, uh, you know, I've had some people say like, "I thought you were an Ohio State fan." Why? Well, I just I love hats. I'm a hat guy to start with. I don't have near as much hair as Kiev, so I can't just you know use a, a great hairstyle or something like that. But but now I'm a hat guy in general. I always have been. Uh, Nova. I like them a lot because I love Jay Wright. You know, Jay Wright's a really good coach. Also very classy. I tend to go toward the uh, teams and coaches who I think are classy and not, you know, the brash, you know, um, smart asses and stuff like that. But, but uh, you know, this is one where I think Nova is so shorthanded. Justin Moore is so important to this team. And Kiev, I, I thought Colin Gillespie looked like he was really hobbling around a lot in that win over, over Houston. He was not 100%. Houston was one for 20 on threes. Um, I enjoyed the game because I had an under. But it was an ugly game, that's for sure. No doubt about that. Villanova won the game shooting 28.8% from the floor. I mean, you win a game shooting 28.8%. It says either a lot about your defense or the other team's offense or something. I think Villanova is so well coached. In fact, I think Jay Wright is the best coach in the country. I wouldn't take anybody above him. The thing about Nova that I like so much is they don't beat themselves. You're going to have to beat them. Now, can Kansas do it? They probably can. You know, I think they're a deserving favorite in this role. Um, what do we make of Kansas, though, Kiev? I mean, Miami completely imploded in the second half of that game. I don't think that was as much Kansas as 
Miami was jacking bad threes in the first five seconds of the shot clock, and it's a layup line going the other way for Kansas. I think if Miami played that way against any of these teams in the Final Four, they would have been blown out in the second half. Uh, you know, I, I think Kansas is a good team. Uh, I just don't think that Kansas is a great team. Everybody's going to bet Kansas here. We know that. Uh, the, the numbers are coming in. Everybody's going to bet Kansas. It's easy, easy lay here. I can't bet Kansas, Kiev. Uh, if I had to bet a side here, I would take Nova. I like the under better than I like the, a side in this game. As far as first half or full game, this is a tough one. Uh, you know, first half under, I believe, is 62, something like that. Correct me if I'm wrong. But um, th that's a pretty low number for a first half uh, number on a Kansas game. Kansas is good offense. Uh, this, uh, this is the Superdome. This is going to be tough shooting backdrop. Does that mean that they couldn't shoot lights out? Of course they could shoot lights out. It's one game sample size, but um, I, I like the under some here in this one. Uh, I think that, you know, it, it depends on if Gillespie is going to play well here in this game. If he plays like he did last game, they're not going to get away with this one like they did against Houston. Houston's not good offensively. Kansas is much better. Um, I would lean toward Nova in this one plus the points. I wonder how high this line will get. Uh, I'm curious your thoughts on that as well, but um, – under and Nova are my leans in this one, Kiev. Yeah, and I and I totally I totally get that, and I agree with it. Now, I I think we speak for everybody that we're bummed out about Justin Moore. Um, I mean Gillespie last year, and now Moore this year, right? I, Moore was hobbling around, or, or sorry, Gillespie, like you said, was hobbling around, but Moore was completely out with that torn Achilles. Um, no, he couldn't even hide that. You know, obviously a lot of college teams would like to people not to know their injury status, but that's just su such a bad injury. Um, he's not playing and for months and probably six months, but he was the leading scorer, um, second leading scorer on the team, 14.8 points per game, but he was the minutes leader at 34.8 minutes, Kyle. Um, most metric sites with Justin Moore in actually have Kansas only a one point favorite. You know, you look at the Ken Palms, you look at Torvik, you look at Haslam metrics, it all has Kansas as a one point favorite on a neutral team. And here we are sitting at 4.5, right? That's a, that's a big reaction right there, uh, in my opinion. And this is kind of where you have to deep dive into it, man. This is kind of where you have to find out where the rubber meets the road, because you also have to think that this is Jay Wright here. He has a good freshman seventh guy, and he's a guard. The seventh and eighth players coming in for Nova are both guards, so that's a good thing, right? He's kind of a replacement. Now they do play in a six-man rotation, so they're going to be with you know the five guys that get the minutes. But that doesn't mean that their young kids, you know, coming in this game, uh, Jordan Logino is not going to have a, a decent game. You know, he he's playing for Villanova for a reason. And these are the kind of the situations that I like getting on a team. You know, a lot of people forget that when players get injured, it rallies the team the next game. It gives them a bump the next game, right? And I wouldn't be surprised if Gillespie, if healthy, shoots, shoots out of his mind this game for a while, right? But at the same time, it's Jay Wright, and he's smart. He's very smart. And I'm going to show you what he's going to do. Let me share my screen here. Kansas played a couple teams, right, and lost. And, you know, they happen to be, um, I'm sorry, this is 2012, Texas teams. TCU, Baylor, Texas, 
Texas Tech, and obviously that Kentucky sneaker that they had. You know what all these have in common, Kyle? All were under 69 possessions, and the bigger blowouts were actually a lot less. Jay Wright knows this. If any defense can take the rhythm off an offense, and there's only 20 minutes of playing time in these games, you know, obviously anything can happen if that's the situation. All it takes is Villanova to be hot. And I tend to want to back those kind of teams. But at the same time, matchup-wise, Kyle, I hate the fact that Villanova shoots so many three-pointers. They rank ninth in adjusted three-points attempts, while Kansas, looking here, ranks eighth on defense. But that also tells me that not only the arena is going to be very intimidating, it tells me that Kansas is going to stop them from scoring as well. Even if it's a slow game, Kansas is going to stop them from scoring. I like how Nova can get near proximity scoring away from Kansas. Nova, one of the top defenses. And if you look at the coaches, I'm going to give a slight edge to Jay Wright over uh, Bill Self. Now, Self is a great coach and very, very good at tournaments, right? They've won plenty of tournaments under Self, but... Uh, the fact that self played here in 2012 with a completely different team and lost, I don't know. I don't know how you want to quantify that, but probably not even worth looking at, but I'm going to give the coaching edge to Jay Wright. And obviously the free throws uh, for Villanova is absolutely fantastic. And if it's a free throw type game, that makes me worry even more for Kansas. Now, obviously Justin Moore is out, but the rest of the team can shoot free throws. 83% free throw shooting, man. That is absolutely fantastic. Look at the pace of Villanova. They slow this game down and dumb it down. They actually have a legitimate shot here. And don't think those Kansas kids are not going to be intimidated when they get into this game, when they see this massive arena. I am actually going to make a play on the first half under. And I gave it away at 62 and a half. And it's at 62. And I still like it. I think it's going to be a crawl. I think Jay Wright's smart enough to know that he's not going to get in a shooting match. He's going to look at what the Texas schools did against uh, Kansas and the way they won. Um, I really like the first half under. And I'll tell you this. If the public keeps fading this injury and this thing gets to five, five and a half, I'm also going to be a player on Villanova, Kyle. I like the first half under. No argument for me. Uh, Nova knows to slow this game down. I think the only thing that beats something like that is if they are making their threes. I mean, clearly Villanova, if they're making their threes like crazy, this game could be a lot higher scoring, even with a slow tempo. But I, I'm pretty confident Villanova is going to slow this game down. Like you said, Jay Wright is smart. He knows what he needs to do here. Unless they get way behind early, Nova is going to play at a really slow pace in this game. And as far as the the side, I think we probably will see a five in this game. I don't know about five and a half. I think five is likely to come here. There's a lot of money on Kansas. Uh, you know, I, who knows? Stranger things have happened, Kiev. There's a lot of money comes in on these final four games. So there's going to be – we're talking here on Thursday afternoon. This game being Saturday night, uh, there's going to be a lot of bets placed between now and the game. So this game could move quite a bit. I would agree. If it gets to five, I have to put something at least small on Villanova. I like the first half under. I do like the full game under as well. Awesome. Great stuff. Well, I'm glad we're in agreement here. And I, I really believe in five and a half. And I'm just going to tell you, there's just 
going to be too many public betters coming in. A lot of people think the Super Bowl line moves. The Super Bowl line doesn't move as much necessarily because the narrative is much less powerful in the NFL. I think the narrative in itself with the injury is going to have a lot more traction. So I'm going to be very interested. Maybe the sharper, larger betters, and it would take a conglomerate to knock that thing down from five, five and a half, back down to four and a half. But man, I think you might see some five and a half pop, and I'll be real excited if that happens because uh, this could be a situation where you're, you're feeling pretty good during the game. All right. Well, great stuff, man. Off to a fantastic start. Let's get into the next Blue Blood team and well, Blue Blood matchup. Duke versus North Carolina. Man, I, I am excited for this game just because of the names of these schools, and I was shocked to hear that they've never met in a tournament before. How, how is how is that possible, man? <laughs> it's crazy. It's hard to believe. Uh, you would have thought at some point they would have met. And, I mean, what you couldn't write it much better, right, drama-wise, that this is their first tournament matchup, Coach K's last year, and it's in the Final Four. Um, you know, neither one of us are Duke fans, but Duke is a big draw. Uh, this Duke team's been playing great. I mean, Kiev said it a couple games ago when they were playing against Texas Tech that, he liked Duke in that game. Duke was making shots. I, I think Texas Tech played good in that game. Really, I do. Uh, Duke was just a little bit better. They were they were very good in that game. There, there are a lot of things that are uh, tough handicaps about this game, and I might go a little bit more in depth here about this one. Real quick before I get into it, I will say, too, that um, the Final Four totals, it took a lot of work for me to get to this, for it to just get to Kiev at 16 and 16. 16 over 16. Numbers. Okay, okay. Nothing exciting. I was a little bit pissed off when I saw there's nothing exciting there. But um, actually, there have been some overs the last couple of years, which has brought it back. The under had done well before that. Uh, that's on the closing line, and the number usually gets bet down in these. So uh, we'll see what happens this year. But UNC, 11th in momentum, has metrics. I mean, I, I don't think anybody watching uh, would have – you know, doubted that in any way. Uh, I, if anything, I would have thought North Carolina might even have been higher in momentum. This uh, North Carolina team is peaking at the right time in a big way. Baycott, Love, Manic. Manic's been playing really well. Um, they underachieved much of the season. This is a team that was busy losing to teams like Pitt at home in the regular season. They had no business losing games like that. Um, they had the 28th strength of schedule, Duke 59th. It's interesting to me that there's that much of a difference. I would have guessed that they would be about the same. Duke played so well the last couple games. They Remember, they were almost about to lose to Michigan State and what, the round of 32? And Michigan State really wasn't very good. And then all at once, Duke uh, flipped a switch, and they haven't looked back since. You know, it's been tremendous since then. Uh, Bancaro's a great player. Williams is underrated for Duke, definitely. Uh, Roach is a good player who's hit some big shots, too. I think Duke was at least somewhat fortunate that Gonzaga wasn't the team they played last game because Arkansas didn't have the firepower. I know Gonzaga um, has been overvalued. And and sometimes before when I say Duke is fortunate that they didn't have to play Gonzaga, people think I mean that Gonzaga would have automatically won. That's not what I mean. I'm just saying it would have been a tougher game. And, and Kiev, I would have liked to see that game because honestly the Duke-Arkansas game wasn't a great game. Um, but this should be a great game. Uh, these two teams – you know, uh, UNC ranks 356th in mo, or not in momentum, in consistency at Haslam metrics, which is crazy. I mean, I guess that's not too surprising that given that they've been blown out by some bad teams and they have some great wins as well. Um, they played well away from home. Duke's played really well away from home. 
this Duke team, their biggest edge is three-point field goal percentage offense. Uh, North Carolina struggled against the three. North Carolina's biggest advantage is rebounding here. North Carolina crushes everybody on the glass consistently. So can Duke hold their own there? And Kiev, the question is, is the Duke offense as good as what we've seen lately? Because if they are, then the other teams are in big trouble in the Final Four because they have been so good offensively. Um, the shot quality stats uh, would say that Duke has been a bit overvalued here of late um, offensively. This is a team where uh, Duke is clearly very good offensively. And I'm going to share my screen here real quick if I can um, believe. Yeah, okay, Duke. So this is Duke. Um, you see the last few games. Duke has uh, put up 78 on Fullerton, should have been 75 according to shot quality, 85 on Michigan State, should have been 73, 78 should have been 79, and then shot quality believes they should have lost to Arkansas, <laughs> should have only scored 68 points. Um, you know, I, I know some people get upset when they see the, the shot quality numbers. Uh, I'm not necessarily married to the fact that the game should have finished exactly at that, but I do think this is very innovative stats. Um, the matchup stats are fantastic here. Uh, while I'm on it, you see Duke, their weakness, their biggest weakness, I'm going to highlight it here, transition defense. That is not a good weakness to have against North Carolina. We know they're going to run all the time. And there are so many uh, things about this handicap that, like I said, are very difficult. Um, I see this as, as one where, uh, you know, we, we just – we have to go with our gut a bit in this game, Kiev. This is one where we saw two completely different games when these two teams played each other. I I'm going to trust the Superdome to help out here in this one. <laughs> I'm going to take the first half under, and I I'm going to hold my nose when I bet this one because I, I, you know, I'm not excited to bet a North Carolina and Duke under. That is that is for sure. It makes me very nervous. Um, if I was going to bet a side here. I would bet North Carolina plus the points. And the, and the reason is I think it's going to be a very close game, go all the way down to the wire. If I think that, I have to take points. Uh, do I think Duke will probably win in the end? That would be my lean, but I think I would take the points here. Uh, Kiev, what are your thoughts on this one? All right. No, great stuff, Kyle. You know, um, Andrew, thank you for uh, you know chiming in here. It, he, he feels like it's almost like planned for Coach K. <laughs> I think Andrew might be a North Carolina fan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he he tells me how how upset will Duke fans be uh, if this if they ruin it for Coach K. I'd say pretty pretty dang upset, but I, I, at the same time, that North Carolina fans will be that much happy too. It's just yeah. that much of a fantastic rivalry. Um, I, I, if you're not a Duke fan, you're rooting for North Carolina. Let's just let's just get that out of here and uh, put that you know. Right in front. I mean, this is gonna. If you're not, if you're a college basketball fan, you have to watch this game. There's just no if, ands, or buts about it. Don't get that. Get to your couch, relax. This is the game of games. Might even be a better game than the finals. Who knows? But I gotta tell you, let's get into some of the stats here. I mean, Duke visited uh, North Carolina earlier, as we know, right? And then they blew the heck on North Carolina. But this adds a little bit to. The rivalry, Kyle. North Carolina is the only team in the ACC that didn't give Coach K a, a salute and a goodbye gift, right? And so that just adds some spice to this Final Four matchup. But then obviously, uh, North Carolina had their number in Cameron Indoor in Coach K's last game. 
and beat them in their house. That is just that was tough. I I was cringing the whole time watching. Uh, I was I was kind of smirking because I'm not a big Duke fan, as you know. But um, a, a, having Coach K had to do the speech after that. But the last game they lost. That was crazy. But hey, you know what? Everything is paid now for Duke because they are back in the Final Four, which is more important in my book here. Now, Shashevsky is 50 and 46 against North Carolina since he started coaching in 1981. Um, I, I think Dean Smith is the only coach that had a Shashevsky's number. Uh, he is 24 and 14, but uh, obviously since uh, he left, uh, Shashevsky has had the upper hand against Roy Williams. And you know, Roy Williams retired last year for Hubert Davis to come in and coach. So a little bit of history there. He's went uh, Shashevsky 36 and 22 since Dean Smith's retirement against them. So this is a close rivalry, obviously, um, and probably the best two teams in college basketball over the past 20 years, I think you can say, even maybe going all the way back to the UCLA days. But um, anyway, this is going to be fantastic. And there's two ways of looking at this game. Kyle, we're going to look at North Carolina. Are you going to use their full season of stats against Duke? Because if you do that, then they are a uh, four-point dog. And that's where the metrics say they're a four-point dog. But according to guys like Jeff Sagarin, you know, he likes to look at it from a recency. And I'm going to share my screen here and look at Sagarin. Um, just got to hit the share button. And give me one second here. Oh, I have to stop screen first. There we go. So you see that the recency... Carolina is a 92.43 power rate, and Duke is a 91.22. So if you look at what have you done for me lately, which is what Sagarin's great at in all the sports, he actually have North Carolina fa favored in this game. I think that's very important to look at, Kyle. I, I think a lot of people are missing that, and I think a lot of people are missing the fact that North Carolina is going to be able to stand up to this team inside, right? Um, what's interesting in this matchup, Kyle, is that neither team is that great guarding each other from three, right? Uh, Duke ranks 68th in the nation, adjusted three-point defense against North Carolina number 22. Duke's number 28 shooting threes. Uh, North Carolina, 108th in defense, right? But this is the full season. Now, Duke, according to here, shows a near proximity, uh, ranking fifth in the nation, to North Carolina ranking 39th, but I'm still going to go by the recent since the Pittsburgh loss and how different this North Carolina Tar Heels team has looked. And I personally think that North Carolina is as good as Duke. And coming into this game, uh, that's just going to make it more exciting. Now, you like the first half under, Kyle, and I got to tell you, man, I have to disagree with you even on that. And I hate to do it because you certainly could be right. And metrically, really, that's the smart play when you're looking at a dome like this. But here's something that shouldn't shock anybody. At free throw attempts allowed per 100 trips up court, Duke ranks number one on defense and UNC ranks <laughs> number two. 
in the and I'm talking about 358. What are the chances, Kyle? Well, some people might be like blaming the officials, and some people might say they don't foul a lot when they kind of come in. Maybe it's a little bit of both. But this is my worry. I don't think these teams. I think they're just going to be kind of hustling, and they're not going to be playing a ton of defense against each other. I think they're worried about getting in foul trouble. So that concerns me a little bit for the under. The fact that they allow threes, the fact that near proximity could be easy shots for them, the fact that North Carolina plays a very fast pace. Uh, let me bring that up. The ranking 39th in adjusted tempo in the nation worries me a little bit. And Duke is more of a middle-of-the-road team. But, Kyle, uh, the last six matchups, these went they overwent 6-0. and And the last game went to 175 points, and that was the one in Cameron. Even the one where North Carolina got blown out, uh, before North Carolina kind of got good, it still went to 154 points. So that worries me a little bit, and I'm not sure what the officials are going to do, but I think this 151 total might be a good idea if you like middling to get it right now because I can see a lot of people just publicly taking the over. There's no way I could take an under in this game, but you can set yourself up for a half buyback on a middle and hedge your risk a little bit there, hopefully get a nice big payout if this thing gets out of hand. So that's one angle I'm looking at here. But just from the matchup standpoint and what North Carolina has done recently, I think there's more pressure on Duke, Kyle. I like what Caleb Love's been doing. I like what Armando Bacchett's been doing. I know Williams is a great matchup for them, for Duke, uh, Banchero. But I just think that North Carolina is that matchup that's going to give them fits. This is way too many points, in my opinion. I am playing North Carolina plus the four and a half, Kyle. I already played it. And it might go back to four and a half. It's usually it's at four right now. But I think that's a side in this game. But the total, I wouldn't have any problem with somebody taking over 151 just because you're, you might get a 153, 154 uh, come game, game time. It would definitely take a sharp hit to uh, keep that thing low. What are your thoughts, Kyle? Well, I, I want to make it clear. Um, I don't love the first half. <laughs> this is not a big bet of mine or anything. I, like I said, I have to hold my nose when I bet it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I get nervous thinking about rooting for an under between these two teams. So not a big bet of mine. Um, I just can't bet over that high of a number in, in the Superdome. You know, this is uh, this game means everything to the two teams. And I do want to point out something we haven't said yet that I've heard other places, Kiev, that I just I can't believe that some people would use this as a reason for betting this game. They say, well, you know, Duke has the motivational edge because they just lost at home to North Carolina. And nobody has a motivational edge in the final four. Everybody cares about this <laughs> right. game. There is no, oh, this team might not. And it's North Carolina and Duke. Um, both teams want to win badly. Uh, North Carolina would love nothing more than to ruin it for Coach K and Duke. You know that. I mean, they, they, they would absolutely love that. At the same time, Duke wants to get them back, and they want to get to the finals and, and win this thing for Coach K. Uh, I think both teams want it equally bad. You know, it's whoever executes here. I just think it's a it's a poor narrative to have to say, well, they just lost at home, so you have to bet Duke in this game. If you like Duke, you want to like them for a different reason than that. And as far as uh, the line here, I assume, Kiev, that means that you probably do like the money lines here on some this, at least somewhat at plus 160, 165, right? 100% sprinkle that thing. Um, I, I, this is probably going to be a, a very come to the last second game. And 
what one team might be up by one point, the other team scores, then they're up by one point, the other team misses, and there's a foul. I have Duke by three points here, guys. I have Duke 79, North Carolina 76. That's my final score in this game. And it, just depending upon how the domes, the kids are going to react to it, I just see a lot of hustle. It, you might even see some sloppy play too, just because you know they're trying to get up and down the court fast. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens. But um, Duke, I have the edge for winning just because Coach K against Hubert Davis. You have to give the respect to Coach K there. But um, I, I just think that four and a half is way too many points. Uh, I think so too. And and uh, as someone who is not a Duke fan, I might put a little bit of something on North Carolina just for fun here. That'd be a pizza money bet for me. Uh, Kiev, can we talk a little bit about what the matchups might look like in the final game? Uh, what the point spread might be? So if we say, if we go by favorites, then you'd go Kansas and Duke as the most likely matchup here. If Kansas played Duke, um, you know, depending on how those two games go, it would depend on what the, the line would be, obviously. But um, I think Duke might be favored by one point. We had the lines. Uh, you know, we had the lines. I'll share. Okay. I'll, I'll share my okay, screen I'd here. Like so, so uh, you know, a Duke versus Kansas would be Duke would be favored by one point, nice. and and uh, North Carolina versus Kansas, uh, Kansas would be favored by four points. So, I mean, in, in this situation, I, I would probably. I would probably take Kansas against Duke, um, and but at the same time, four points when I have Duke and North Carolina pretty much power rated the same in my mind and what they've done and how they match up, I would probably take North Carolina. You know, I would say that this should be uh, probably a pick'em game. Uh, I think Kansas, North Carolina, and Duke are all as good as each other almost. You know, and maybe a slight slight edge of Kansas, but I, yeah, I, you know. It's tough. It, it's really tough. Um, not might not even bet this game personally, but it's important that we talk about it because we're obviously not going to have another show. Um, it's gonna watch this matchup be like Villanova or something, right? Villanova <laughs> coming into this, but if Villanova makes it this far, I'm fading Villanova because of the injury. I always fade the next game after the injury, not not the game right after, but the game after that. So I would probably be on the other team playing Villanova no matter what. But uh, and, and I'm very unfortunate too for Nova, like I said, for that injury. But um, I, I'll take the dog above three and pretty much uh, anything minus the Nova. I think my favorite of these would be North Carolina plus the points against Kansas. Um, plus four to me is too many points against Kansas for North Carolina. And somebody would say, well, North Carolina just beat Duke. That was a massive game for them. Then it'd be the title game. They're going to be playing motivated for that game too. So um, I think North Carolina should probably be, you know, more, no more than plus one against a team like Kansas. And I think what you said a minute ago is the reason why. I think those stats from November and December and January mean nothing right now for, for North Carolina. So if you're using the full game stats, you're underrating North Carolina. Um, hopefully we do see a North Carolina-Kansas line come out at plus four and, and we have that game because I, I would like that one quite a bit. That would, that would be my favorite of the bunch. Okay, yep. It, can't disagree. You know, um, I was looking for this. Andrew had a mess, uh, question for us. How do we feel about a margin 1 to 10 win for Duke at plus 172 and then take UNC plus the points? I mean, it's a cute way to look at it. I mean – 
would you take UNC on the money line? Because I think that's what you mean. Yeah. Because why don't you have plus money on both of it? You're getting plus money on them winning between zero and 10 points, essentially, and you're getting UNC on the money line. So, um, I mean, that's definitely a good way to look at it. I, I don't think uh, this game will get out of hand. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's a it's a it's a pretty good approach. I, I like it, Andrew. I really do. I think this is one of those games that's gonna there's gonna be no bigger lead than ten points. Personally, I think that's a great way to look at it. I love the prop there. I also heard of a prop with uh, Abaji for the Kansas game shooting over one point five threes. I think it's less than minus two hundred making one point five threes. I, I can see Abaji making at least two three pointers. So anything under minus two hundred. I would uh, lean to that prop as well. So um, not a market I was able to study yet because not a lot of props are out yet, but I'm going to be uh, keying in on a few props just to have a little extra fun, you know, uh, coming in here. Yeah, real cute, uh, Andrew says. So <laughs> thanks for thanks for chiming in, but I love what you're thinking there, man. Uh, if I did that, I would take UNC on the money line and take Duke at the, the margin of one to 10 just because I'd want plus money on each side. Uh, I know that it'd be tempting if you take UNC plus the points, then you might be able to hit both sides, but that that's tricky. I don't I don't like putting myself at a at a minus line, uh, and then the plus one seventy two. I would definitely want the plus money on each side, and also uh, you got to be careful betting too much on something like that. This is still college basketball variance. I mean, somebody could win by twenty points. Uh, you know, we think it's going to be a close game. I do think it'll be a close game, but uh, you know, a blowout wouldn't be stunning. We've seen plenty of those, so. I wouldn't bet huge money on anything like that, but I don't. I don't hate it. I think plus plus money on each side uh, is a good way to go there. No, definitely, definitely very, very creative. Kyle, man, we w- we went long, but we always do. And uh, I got to tell you, it's been like I said earlier, it's been great having this show with you. And we're going to be back probably for the draft and obviously sprinkled throughout the summer. But you do a lot throughout the summer. You you're, you get really focused in on it. In the NBA, you do baseball, lots of totals. Uh, you're fantastic at it. Where could our viewers and listeners get your information? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I've actually had a really good season in the NBA so far this year. Low volume. Uh, one last night with the Warriors and Suns under I've won six plays in a row overall and in the NCAA tournament of 10 and two thus far. So it's been a really successful March. Um, I kind of hate to see March end, but I'm also looking forward to better weather here in Ohio. Just some brutal weather here for spring break for the kids this week. Um, uh, Kiev, I love baseball as well. Baseball is a fun season. Things are a bit slower uh, for handicappers than they are in some of the other seasons. I've done well in baseball in the past. You can check out my baseball season package, which I'm going to be putting a discount on here later this week. Um, My MLB, NBA, you can get the rest of college basketball, obviously. Um, Over at huntersportspicks.com, you can sign up for the free picks newsletter there as well. Um, Head over to sportswageringu.com like we talked about earlier. There's going to be lots of good stuff coming up. If you like the NBA, um, Clive Bixby, Chris Farley, Alex Christensen, um, noops on Twitter are going to be teaching the NBA class coming up here on April 5th. I would highly recommend you check that one out. Uh, you can sign up for that over there at sports wagering you that that class is free. So, uh, sign up for that. Check out, um, they, those guys all know the NBA really well. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that one myself and, uh, Kiev, I've enjoyed doing this show. I didn't realize we've talked as long as we have here today, but that's how it always is, right? We always say, oh, we won't talk too long. And then you get the two of us talking. We have a lot of thoughts and it's always fun. Thanks again.
Oh, man. Awesome job. Thank you so much. Make sure you guys check him out. And uh, I've been fortunate since day one of the tournament. Been 43 and 27 against the spread over under up 36 units. And, uh, you know, so saw the board well. I'm feeling great about baseball and UFC has always been my top sport. So I'm going to have a lot of fun this summer. But what, what I also do for premium subscribers is I try to find some value in the futures market when it comes to college football and for uh uh, the NFL, I always am on, on, on top of the line move, and a lot of those lines that come out early are very weak. Um, I'm actually getting to work on football right away here, and uh, uh, very excited for that. So, if you guys want to check me out at the Oddsbreakers and become a member and support us, you know, uh, really very much appreciate that. And uh, it, it costs money to do what we do, so uh, we definitely appreciate you guys uh, helping us out. So, um, with that, Kyle. Uh, I want to wish everybody the best of luck this weekend. Make sure you enjoy these massive games. Don't go, don't go overboard here. These lines are pretty tight, but uh, obviously, uh, you know, have a fantastic time watching. Everybody, take care. Thank you for watching Better Odds Sports Betting. All right, my friends, now it's time to talk a little NFL with Ron from Ron Ace Sports. We're going to get right into the Pythagorean win calculation. All right, now I'm very happy to welcome back a man who I look up to as a football guru. You've already seen him at the Odds Breakers. He also has a fantastic new show called The Inside Blitz, Mr. Ron Ace Sports. Ron NFL already, my man. I mean, we can't get enough of it. There are no days off anymore. I remember just a year ago, the Super Bowl was in January. You got February off. Then you started preparation for the draft. Now we have the Super Bowl. We have the Combine. We have breaking news daily. We, we even have Bobby Wagner signing about a half an hour ago with the Rams. So there's <laughs> there's no time off. You know, I used to be able to turn off Schefter and uh, Ian Rappaport's tweet tweet notifications in the offseason, but I can't anymore, especially of how it affects the line. So I'm sitting here during March Madness and seeing all this crazy NFL news. Russell Wilson, you know, just, uh, Aaron Rodgers signs, Adam's gone, you know, just craziness. And uh, I mean, Carson Wentz gone, and then, you know, <laughs> them picking up where they left off with Matt Ryan. What the heck? Just an amazing bunch of trades and stuff and yeah you, you got to get into it and you got to talk about it but there's a lot of nfl fans out there so i'm not worried about it i think we're gonna have a good time talking and uh ron um yeah, we are actually already touched a little bit on our topic today the pythagorean win total uh thank you for having me on your show with chris and ted the inside blitz can you just tell the audience a little bit about that show oh it's something we started off uh, about a month ago um, Chris, who I met about a decade ago, and, and we'd become friends, and he really got me from uh, really behind the scenes and me starting to share things that I've learned over my 30, 40 years of experience in handicapping and writing about the NFL. And now we want to share it with the general public and all football fans. We didn't know how much we would do in the offseason, but since there's no offseason, we're doing this on a weekly basis. So we've talked about free agency already. We're going to be talking about divisions, kind of put a lid on last year. We're going to talk about today's topic like we did yesterday. Thanks for coming on our show. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Chris let it off, uh, talk about 
wanting to know a little bit more about Pythagorean theorem principles. And that's really a foundation for starting handicapping. If you're doing divisional handicapping, if you're doing season win totals, if you're looking at individual game randomness and so on, um, that's what we're trying to do with our show. And we're hopefully uh, going to continue on all the way through the off season. So to, so to speak, off-season mm -hmm. and kick right into the regular season. We're very excited about the kind of content that we could produce. Absolutely. And I'll give the audience a quick introduction for anybody that is newer to this show um, or just newer to handicapping football in the off-season in general. The Pythagorean win total is just based upon the Pythagorean theorem. And this can get extremely boring, but I have to introduce the concept of it. Basically, uh, the Pythagorean theorem is just a way to find the distance uh, of the hypotenuse of a right triangle, basically C here. So you can, you know that A plus B is longer than C, but A squared plus B squared equals C squared. So it's just it's just the thought process of knowing that you need an exponent or some sort of formula to reach um, an actual number on the NFL. If you didn't use uh, squared numbers in the NFL, um, it, all your win totals would be between 7 and 10. And we know that's not true in the NFL with the distribution of points. Now, obviously, the NFL is not a right triangle, but we're just looking for a relation. It's really points scored over total points, right? I mean, points scored um, is great if they're more than you're, you give up. You know, if if for example, you give up half the points, you're going to have a Pythagorean theory, uh, percentage of more like two-thirds, right? Uh, obviously, if you give up a lot more points than you score, it's going to be under 50%. So you multiply that by the amount of games that you play, which is now 17 games in the NFL, and you actually get a number. And I use the exponent personally of 2.37. But everybody's got their own methods, and don't want to get too deep in the weeds about that. But I wanted to start talking about some of the great things you do, Ron, because I know that uh, you apply some stuff that I've learned about, and uh, you talk a little bit about turnovers, and i like you to get into, um, well, I guess uh, you can start pretty high level. How do you use the Pythagorean theorem yourself? The first thing I do is just basically take what's out there, point differential, uh, how many points scored, how many points did they allow, and see how that correlated to their record. And that's the easiest thing to do. That's what people have been doing for years and years, um, but kind of under the radar. And so if you have a team like last year's Cleveland Browns who won 11 games, but were outscored by somewhere around 11 points, you say, well, wait a second, a normal universe um, where everybody was playing all their starters and everybody was trying every week, if somebody was outscored by 11 points, that really is eight and eight. Mm -hmm. So the question then becomes what to, use, what to do with that data. Are they closer to eight and eight or are they closer to 11 and five? This was with a 16 game schedule in 2020. So you look at the roster, you look at the one score games, you, you look at some of the cold weather games they played, which were back to back to back and freezing weather that year. And you start looking and saying, well, wait a second, I have this data and it looks more like eight and eight than their record of 11 and five. Then I look at their schedule. I'm taking this Pythagorean theorem data and I'm looking at it with other data points. Okay. Has the roster changed? Has their coaching changed? Has the schedule changed? As soon as I came to schedule, things started to change. 
because now they were going to have a prime time schedule. And it's not like Green Bay or New England having a prime time schedule where they're used to it year after year. With Cleveland and the ups and downs and the quarterback being a little more demonstrative and excitable in Baker Mayfield, I'm thinking, well, are they going to meet the challenges of rising to a Monday night game, having a short week of preparation, and then going in to play a non-divisional opponent the following Sunday? And the dominoes just kept on falling you know, falling one after another. And I'm saying, okay, I have this Pythagorean theorem that can stand on its own. But you asked me about how I incorporate that. And I'm, I'm putting in three, four, five different variables to arrive at what I think is a more definitive conclusion as to where I want to go with them for the next season. No, no doubt. No doubt. I think that's really interesting. And you have some slides to discuss on how you use those variables here. Now, let's talk about the first one, because I first started seeing articles about this about six or seven years ago. And I'm going to be honest with you, Kia. The first time I saw an article about this topic, I cringed. It's because I don't want anybody to know about this. This is my thing. I've been doing this under the radar. Don't tell people about this. And now it's out there. It's more mainstream. And if you look at season win totals... Um, as they come out, even one or two now, you're going to start to see bookmakers understand what's out there. It's, it's, when I say more mainstream, it's not necessarily a good thing because they're adjusting to what some of the high rollers are thinking, what some of the metrics. Everything's analytical these days. That's how Bill James started all this in baseball, and now we've moved on to football and so on. Um, so that's one concept. That's one data point that I want to put out. And then if you look at the data on the second point, you know that Russell Wilson missed three critical games last year. You know that Lamar Jackson missed games down the stretch and all of a sudden Baltimore was out of the playoffs. And then you have to factor in the fact that there are certain games where if you don't play your starters in week 17, a playoff team might lose 27 to 3. And if you factor in that 17th game, you're going to get a skewed point differential for the season. So you have to go back, take what you have in terms of the data that you can print out on on any website, and then do a little bit of tweaking. And then unfortunately, what we're going through right now with what we've talked about with Russell Wilson changing hands, with um, Tyreek Hill changing hands, Bobby Wagner, you name it. I have a feeling because of salary cap and quarterback guaranteed contracts and everything that uh, Chris and Ted and I talked about just yesterday on our own show. This is not a one-time deal. We're going to see this all the time. And in my way of looking at the Pythagorean theorem and ground rules, ground rules moving forward, what I now have to do is factor in a person team fit, factor in how much of a change each roster is going through. Because in my mind, um, it makes a difference. Yeah, 100%. I agree. And massive points there. And you kind of just use your whole formula there when you're kind of kind of coming up with the, uh, an expectation for the wins for next year, correct? Like you kind of use this data. And then when you find the final changes coming through via the draft, obviously free agency is big, then you uh, know when to fire or not, correct? Absolutely. Sometimes you're firing on spec because a number seems out of whack when the wind totals come out. But otherwise, I never want to use just one data point. 
I want it to be supported by two or three or four other things that point me in one direction. Yeah, it's great to know. And are you, how early do you fire yourself on some of these uh, season win totals? I mean, the first data we have is obviously last year, and that's how I, we can come up with the Pythagorean theorem mm -hmm. before a lot of things have been changed. Uh, ideally, uh, the, this would happen almost right now because the draft, as deep as it's going to be, doesn't change a lot of rosters, especially in a non-quarterback-driven draft where these guys, it's just not a good quarterback draft. So the rosters, once free agency has started to wind down, they're set now. The only thing that's missing is the schedule and it's ups and downs, peaks and valleys. And that used to be in mid-April. But the NFL got this great idea during COVID that we can extend the NFL season to mid-May, and they're now putting it out in mid-May, which means I don't have all the data points. So I'm not going to fire as much. And then I'm also hampered by the fact that I personally live in California, which will probably get legalized betting. Uh, well, they may have to dig me out of the grave before we get legalized betting, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, California's behind the time. It's so funny. They, I don't even know why. We can, that's a whole other conversation about the states that are not capitalizing on this stuff. And it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, when I lived in states, I, I used offshore books. And I'm not saying that I should have, or I'm not saying I, the bookies I used I should have. But it's just sometimes the way you have to do business. But yeah, no, great, great points. And obviously, the uh, big data point is the draft coming up. I personally wait to fire until after the draft, but I get into it pretty quick because lots of the major moves are made. Now, obviously, stuff like the Deshaun Watson thing that happened last year happened pretty late in the game, but uh, no, great stuff. And you know what's funny about last year's article? Uh, I had a, an article and I adjusted for 17 games uh, from the data because I had to add the 17th game in there multiply with a multiplier of 1.0625. What I found is that all four of the overachievers, three of them were winners on the under, you know, and that was Kansas mm -hmm. City, Buffalo, Cleveland, and Tennessee. And the only reason Tennessee didn't hit is because Thank goodness Deshaun Watson didn't play for Houston. The Jaguars were an absolute mess. Uh, they tend they got two and zero against the Colts because the Colts had some bad placement when they made them. And the, hey, the Titans they were clutch when they played the the good teams. They were healthy, and then they got injured at the very end and got they got a string of bad teams. So they they were very fortunate, Ron, weren't they? Well. Trade secret now time. Um, there's 272 games played on the 17-game season. The maximum number of wins you can have, therefore, is 272. And we had 271 last year because Detroit and Pittsburgh, I think, played to a tie. That's correct. So sports, books, sports books value overs. Um, they know the betting public likes overs. So if you take the best numbers that you can get at any sports book or a combination, hopefully you have two or three or four different outs in Las Vegas, you have much more. You're going to come up with a number that's closer to 280, 282 or something like that. So with Pythagorean theorem, I'm really looking more to bet unders anyway, because like last year, I think I had nine plays. Eight of them were under season win totals and one was over because I refused to play overs going against what I think is perceived, um, you know, extra vigorous that you'd have to deal with. 
Well, it is extra vigorous because if you add them all up, they go to over 272 games, and that's why they they already plan on it. So that's very true. You have to be pretty right on an over when that happens. So keep that in mind. Maybe go to your sports book and add up all the season win totals and see what number you come up with because there's going to be a good chance you can just find out how juiced it is just from those data points. That's great stuff, man. So I'm going to get into mine a little bit, Ron. Um, basically what I do, very similar to you, but I, I incorporate turnovers for half of what they're worth. The turnover to me is worth between 3.6 and 4 points. I just assign 2 points for a turnover because some of it's predictable. Like uh, we said on our previous show, I'll bet you a thousand bucks the Packers are positive in the turnovers, and you would never take that bet because you know that Aaron Rodgers is just that good of a quarterback. But so some of it's predictable, but some of it's random, especially when it comes to fumbles. Um, and you can get into that a little bit after this. But what what I want to show the the audience here is kind of my what I do, and I, I factor in for turnovers. Meaning, if you're positive turnovers, you get a little bit punished because you were somewhat fortunate. And if you're really negative in the turnovers, you are rewarded. And this is my uh, my screen of the article. I'll probably be releasing on Monday. So basically, I'm just going to hit the outliers here, which I think is important. So the biggest overachievers I have is the Green Bay Packers, only 9.79s expected wins compared to their 13. Um, I think that the Green Bay Packers were very fortunate last year to play in the division of the Bears and the Lions. The Bears were a very fraudulent team, and uh, they are also, uh, as hard as their schedule was supposed to be, it ended up a little bit easier they won a lot of close games, and they didn't score a ton of points. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, a lot of the stuff happened at the very end. They ran the clock out, and they are fortunate, but that's why it's the biggest difference. They overachieved by 3.21 games. So um, this says that they should have only won 9.79 games, which is still a playoff team, but according to the with their points scored, taken away a little bit for the turnovers. They're the biggest outlier for me. The next one is the Las Vegas Raiders, and this should be clear to everybody. expected wins compared to their 10. They blew it away. They were way under in points last year. If you look at the Raiders, they only scored 374 points and gave up 439, you know, and you can even give them a little back for having those minus nine turnovers, and they're still minus 2.66, you know. With the Raiders, the only way I can figure is I think their coach did a really good job, even though he was an intern coach. I thought Piscata... he, he was fantastic, and so was Derek Carr in the clutch. You know, they won some games, some close games, and they got blown away a lot by teams like the Chiefs. But, um, you know, this was a, still a fraudulent team according to uh, what they should have done. So there's probably no way in hell I'm going to be running to the window to bet they're over. And I think the under would be a, a decent look, especially in this division. The Steelers were next, and I had to give Steelers 9.5 wins to get it to 272, just like the Lions had to give them an extra half win just to get my numbers straight. But the Steelers, um, minus 2.59, they won a lot of their games that they shouldn't have as well. They got to capitalize on a very injured Ravens team and a very injured Cleveland Browns team when they played them. So um, I, I believe one of their games, Baker wasn't even in, or some of their key receivers anyway. I, I remember the Browns were really beat up at the time. Um, and their, their schedule ended up easier than people said. They are coming in the year with the hardest schedule. Some of those teams didn't pan out as being all that great. So 
Um, even with that first stinker against the Raiders, they still barely made the playoffs there. Thank goodness to that tie, kind of putting them over the hump, Ron. And then, of course, then the Atlanta Falcons is next. Uh, 5.16 wins compared to their seven. They were actually positive in the turnover margin, which probably helped them out a little bit. And so crazy wins against the Saints and the Dolphins. Um, and they had somewhat of a medium schedule. Uh, it's really crazy that they won seven games going one and three against the NFC East. I, I, that blew my mind a little mm-hmm. bit, Ron. How do you go one and three against the NFC East, be the Falcons, and get seven wins? So they, they were overachievers last year. And then Titans themselves were fifth. Uh, they, just as everybody said, the eye test, the eye test, the eye test. The Pythagorean really confirms the eye test. Minus 1.67 win difference, 10.33 compared to 12. I mean, they, just like I said before, hit the injury bug when they got to the easy teams. They caught a lot of teams sleeping and capitalized. But this team lost to the Jets and the Texans. I mean, if you lose to the Jets and the Texans, that should tell you uh, enough that there are some issues with this team. And uh, I, I know they probably should have won that playoff game against Cincinnati, but there is absolutely they're, they're an easy fade for me um, coming into playoff time anyway. Underachievers, I have the New England Patriots as number one. Um, 2.12 difference. The Patriots blew uh, blew out a lot of the bad teams, but just could not beat the very good teams in certain situations, minus the win bowl they had against Buffalo, Ron. Mm-hmm. So I thought the, the Patriots underachieved a little bit. Um, the, the Bills had expected wins of 12.92 compared to their 11. So this was a situation where five of the Bills' six losses was by seven points or less, Ron. Five of the six. Of the, uh, six. So th- that tells you if you flip those losses, uh, those games around, they probably would have had more whims, wins, and you might be getting into that point a little bit later. The Seahawks were next, but I will say um, they should have won 8.9 compared to their seven wins. Russell Wilson was out for a while. And then when Russ Wilson played, especially at the end of the season, holy cow, did they have an explosion. And they beat the Cardinals when the Cardinals were playing for a playoff position. Had they won, they would have been the division winner and getting in the Rams spot. What a massive change for them in that situation. The Denver Broncos were next, obviously, the Teddy Bridgewater uh, and lock injuries and um and then the uh, oh, I actually have them written twice. I believe Philadelphia was next. I'll have to fix that when I before I publish this article. So that's where I'm kind of at. Um, and this is what I, the data I'm going to look at when I'm starting to decide how much I'm going to punish teams for strength of schedule or reward them when I compare them to what they gained in the draft, what they gained and lost in free agency and retirement and uh, come up with an actual season win total myself. So in a nutshell, Ron, that's the overachievers and the underachievers. I think we were pretty close on our numbers, weren't we? We were very close within a half game of just about all of them. Um, And it's interesting, expounding on some of that, the eye test was obvious for a team like the Raiders. I mean, we don't need the, the point differential to know that they kind of snuck into the playoffs. And then you get the added bonus that, there's a big difference, for example, if you play the um, AFC South, the top two teams are Tennessee and Indy. The bottom two teams are Houston and Jacksonville. The Raiders are going to play one of the top two teams, and their competitors who got stronger this offseason, Denver and the Chargers, are going to play either Houston or Jacksonville. Um, so you're already dealing with you know negative value in terms of the Raiders, and now they're going to have to play an opponent that – two of their other competitors are not going to play. 
So those are some of the things I look at. You mentioned a little bit about uh, close games, one-score game with Buffalo and so on. Well, there are a lot of one-score games in the NFL these days. You know, we just have to look at the wild card or the divisional round in the playoffs where every game could have gone in any direction. Can you imagine that the Atlanta Falcons won seven games, and if you flipped their one-score games, they would actually win maybe two or three games? So anybody <laughs> who looks at Atlanta and says, wait a second, you know, they won seven games. They're not that far from being a 500 team. Uh, well, unfortunately, Matt Ryan was traded. I would have rather he stayed, and then maybe they they would have been perceived to be better than what they were. Those are you know some of the the bottom points there. But as we go along, um, you know, Chris and I, Chris, Ted, and I, when we break down the teams, these are conversations, Kiev, that we're going to have. Everything that you've talked about, as far as one score games, the Pythagorean theorem, what's up up for next their next schedule and, and so on. But uh, yeah, we're so close on what we gleaned from last year's records and what they should or could have been. Um, no differences whatsoever. 100%. And I, I, I want to say this too, and this is very important. When a team loses a coach or a quarterback, and there's a big, or both, and there's a big transition, this data becomes less reliable from what I say, because those are the biggest changes. Yeah. Now, what I will say, it's not completely unreliable. I mean, look at Jacksonville. Yeah, they, uh, yeah. they did underachieve, but everyone reward them way too much for a quarterback and coach, and they were still Jacksonville. And so that made me go the other way, even though they underachieved the year before. You know, that was just a very big difference, and that was written in my 2021 Pythagorean expectation. So teams like the Broncos probably going to throw this data out for them and just not use necessarily what they did last year. I'm going to look more at player pickup and and things like that. And the Russell Wilson hype might be overhyped, and that's when you got to come in and make that decision. Is are they giving them too much for this? Maybe maybe there's some issues with Russell Wilson with the Hawks Seahawks last year. So that's some stuff that we dig into later. Obviously, with the Falcons, like you said, losing Matt Ryan, big change, you know, and, and then the Seattle Seahawks, definitely massive change right there. But, you know, keep in mind, um, we, we try to take this information with a grain of salt, and it's just part of the function that we use when we're predicting wins and when we find out some more information. So let's go to the next slide here that you have. Um, can you explain what's going on here? Sure. And I have examples for each of these points. And, and this is another way that I personally take the data and, and play with it so that I get a more concrete feeling about each team. If you look at turnover data analysis, the first bullet point, random versus expected. You mentioned already Green Bay's plus 13 in turnovers, but they're plus every year. Aaron Rodgers doesn't throw into traffic. He throws quickly. He leads receivers. He he can throw into tight windows. He could do all that stuff. Now you look at the Arizona Cardinals. Well, they're right there, too. They were plus 12 in turnovers last year, but they were plus 10 in fumble recoveries, and that is generally not repeatable. So with a probably a tougher schedule because they finished in second place, I haven't vetted it out completely, but I do believe they play the AFC West, so it's automatically tougher. Uh, you're probably going to look at close to a zero in turnovers. If we take the 3.6 to 4 points per turnover, even if you take it at the lowest point, you're talking about a 40-point differential change 
and the roster hasn't necessarily significantly changed. I think they lost Chandler Jones and, you know, I think I, I've written it up. I'm very close to finishing my NFL draft pre-draft article, but that's, you know, you have Green Bay and Arizona. They're within one turnover of, of each other, one turnover of each other last year. And they're completely different in terms of my analysis. Yeah, I know. And so, uh, I mean, when Green Bay went down there, people were surprised when Green Bay won. Green Bay wasn't exactly getting beat up that game. Now, I know that there was some bad luck for Kyler Murray on that one yard line, but man, Green Bay was in that game. Um, and t- for the you know a little bit better than people think, I, I think the Cardinals, the the turnover luck for the fumbles, like you say, is just a complete random act of God almost with these fumbles. Interceptions are definitely more predictable, as you yeah. said, and uh, I think that's very interested. So why don't you get into the schedule changes? Schedule changes. Okay, so fourth place teams play all the other fourth place teams. First place plays first place teams, of course. So. Yeah, Dallas, who played a third-place schedule last year without Dak Prescott, and Washington, which played a first-place schedule, and basically with what they thought would be a pretty old quarterback in, uh, uh, what is it, Fitzpatrick? Yeah, yep, Ryan Fitzmagic. He got hurt, and then they changed. But uh, either way, they were probably overrated, especially in their deep defense. And now they were playing all the first-place teams. When teams aren't accustomed to that and – the first place schedule also gets usually a few more prime time games. It's a drastic change that happens. And so you have to look for that for this year compared to last year. Same thing happened with Seattle and San Francisco. San Francisco played a third or fourth place schedule, whereas Seattle played the first place schedule. So there was going to be some regression anyway. Uh, turnover data, even Russell Wilson was going to play against more formidable opponents. Right. And there's a correlation between number two and number three. You know, what's interesting is I don't think people take into account how unbelievably important adding that 17th game is. Because um, just for everybody who's listening or watching right now, that 17th game, that extra game means if you're a fourth place team, you will play in the other conference another fourth place team. And if you're a first place team, you will play in the other conference, a first place team. So you play three uncommon opponents in within the division. So if you're Arizona and San Francisco, you'll play 14 games that are exactly the same. And the other three will be different. And moving from two first place versus first place teams instead of three first place versus first place teams, to me, is a pretty big difference. Amazing difference, Ron. I'm so glad you brought that up because we call those the at-large games that you get. And it's just like you said, fourth place schedule, first place. I mean, look at San Francisco getting the fourth place schedule last year because they were so injured the year before. And look at Seattle getting the first place schedule and what happened to them. Huge difference in strength there. And um, I think even though San Francisco was injured for a while, Jimmy G was hurt. Part of their saving grace to get to 10, 11 wins in that massively tough division, hardest one in the NFL, the NFC West, was because of that fourth place schedule and some of those at-large games. That, like We have to remember that. So that's a, a yeah. great point. You know, Playing a team like, uh, well, I, I suppose like 
the Chiefs, or sorry, the Pack. Let's just do the Packers and the Lions. I mean, that's your difference here yeah. between the bottom and yeah, top. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, and it was yeah. Chiefs Raiders. The Raiders definitely did a little bit better, but yeah, look look at the difference here. It, it's it's massive. Tampa Bay versus <clears throat> like Carolina, right? It's yeah. it's just such a so, so significant. So great call on all that stuff. So what about the schedule layout, short weeks, and bye week placement? This is the piece of the puzzle, you and I and everybody else. We don't have that because schedule comes out in, in mid-May. So we're missing that part. But the reason I put that in is because now you got some of these teams that aren't used to playing so many primetime games. So Arizona, you know, they're a popular team right now with Kyler Murray and so on. So you're going to get them... Maybe they had one or two primetime games this year, especially early when nobody thought anything about them and you couldn't change the schedule. Now you could see them more playing on a Monday night and extra time or playing on a Sunday night. And then they've got to go and maybe their next game is against somebody in the AFC, a non-divisional game. And how the how that plays out enters into my looking at a team and if they're already negative or positive in a Pythagorean theorem uh, principle, then I'm just going to weigh that a little bit more. And the bi-week placement is, is interesting to me because I have something that's very important to me and it was illustrated by the Philadelphia Eagles last year. When you have a new coach, it's very, very important to have an early bi-week in my opinion, because these new coaches, especially if they've never been a head coach, they haven't had the luxury of taking some time off and evaluating during the season what's working and what's not working. And this, it's just too many things for them to keep track of. Philadelphia had an early buy. I discussed this in the past. They were averaging 22 runs per game in their first six weeks. They reevaluated things when they had that uh, week off, whether it was a full buy or a mini buy. They said, wait a second, we have a running quarterback in Jalen Hurts. We have a veteran offensive line. Let's try to maximize our run game. And for the last 11 weeks of the year, they averaged 38 runs per game. That's a massive difference, 23 to 38. They made adjustments because of the early bye week. And so one example, and what I'm going to do is look one of the first things I'm going to look at when the schedule layout comes out is new coaches, where's their bye week? That's a great point. I mean, new new coaches need that early bye to kind of regroup the team. They're not used to managing personalities on a stressful, long schedule, you know, getting ha having nothing to look forward to. There's probably an art to that that they don't understand mm -hmm. quite yet. So that's a yeah, great, absolutely. great call on this. Also, you know, some of those sandwich games, if you think that a team that was bad is going to be a little bit better this year and they're in a sandwich, this could be three losses in a row for somebody. So um, I tend to look at some of those spots and uh, see how bad those spots are, you know. Um, yeah. instead going two and th two uh, out of three is a lot different than going one out of three in those situations, and could be all the difference to your season win total. So, last two quarterback changes in a quarterback driven lead and coaching and scheme changes. What do you have to say about that? Well, the the point about the quarterback friendly lead. Okay, quarterbacks. The, we know the rules favor quarterbacks now. The NFL wants to see points scored. We've seen that rise. We've seen pass percentages rise. You can't hit a quarterback above the knee, below the knee when they're running, when they're not running. Um, so it matters when a quarterback changes hands. We've talked about Russell Wilson. He's leaving Seattle. 
that's got to have an effect. But we can also look at it in a coaching aspect too. Urban Meyer was a college coach trying to identify like Lou Holtz and Bobby Petrino and all the failed coaches before him in an NFL environment. He didn't help stimulate Trevor Lawrence's development. He's gone. Now they have a very quarterback-friendly head coach to replace him. So I give a little bit of weight to that, for example. In-season changes and scheme changes are also important. I mentioned last year how don't worry about Kansas City. They had an all-new offensive line at the beginning of the year. They started off a little rough around the edges. Mahomes is getting used to the offensive line. They weren't in cohesion with one another. They had a minus nine, which actually jumped to a minus 11 turnover ratio at one point. But they finished pretty flat for the year because everybody acclimated and they were all really good players. The draftees and the free agents they signed, they just weren't ready week one. Take a look at that. You got the Saints moving from Sean Payton, an offensive-minded coach, to their defensive coordinator taking over. You have the flip thing going on with the New York Giants from having a very defensive-minded coach who basically ran quarterback sneaks with their offense. He was fired, and then they put in the Buffalo Bill offensive coordinator, DeBall, Brian DeBall. So now they have an offensive-minded slant. So these are changes that I pay attention to and I chart um, what's going on with um, who they've added, who they've subtracted before September comes. We might even look at a preseason game or two to see how they're scheming, what they're running. Yeah, great call. And so I'm going to challenge you a little bit here. I noticed you didn't write skill positions, trenches, or like secondary, for example. So are, are, do those factor in just so much less that they're not in your consideration here? Cluster changes are in my consideration. When somebody changes, like Kansas City, five different offensive linemen, when two cornerbacks are out, when, when all their receivers are gone, like in Atlanta, that factors. But any one individual player from a unit, it's just not as important anymore as a quarterback. Yeah, I think it's even better to go against the market. The Devontae Adams thing is big. But at the same time, Aaron Rodgers makes those receivers, right? Yeah. It's not it's not like you can you know, there's gonna be people just fading the Packers maybe just yeah. for that and maybe just rewarding Denver just not based on that. If the other things are not lying up here, then you definitely can't do that. Yeah. So uh, you know, it's all comes to number dependent and all these things are great data points to look at, Ron. And Thank you so much for all this fantastic information, Ron. You know, it, it's just such a great conversation. I'm so happy to have you on my side this year. Uh, I can't wait to talk about the draft and all the fun stuff we're going to get into for that. So all you listeners out there, prepare for that. But in the meantime, where could our listeners and viewers uh, follow you or get your information or, or watch your new show? Okay, well, I don't have my information in print up yet, but look for that soon. Please follow me um, at Ron A. Sports on Twitter because we're going to have more stuff going on. If you haven't already followed Las Vegas Chris, which you know, so many people do because he's a wealth of information, follow him too. Uh, follow Ted Sobel at Ted Sobel Sports because he has the information. He has direct interviews with players. Um, he's done the broadcasting point of view. And then subscribe or or follow us on Twitter so that you know when the Inside Blitz podcast come up. We, we dumped another one out today on uh, the latest news um, that came out this morning. And we are going to try to do try to do it on a weekly basis. So the Inside Blitz podcast and all of us follow us on Twitter. 
Um, we're more than happy to share information. The draft is going to, you know, uh, I've been following the draft. I've been writing about the draft for longer than some of our listeners have been on earth. So, uh, <laughs> and this is the best draft. This is the one I'm most looking forward to because I have more rated players than I've ever had because of the super senior rule and so on. Uh, this draft is incredible. Man, Ron, your professionalism and experience is impeccable. Make sure you guys check out at Ron A Sports and all of his great information that he has to offer. And we're out of time today. So thank you so much for watching this show. Please have a great time watching all the games this weekend. Enjoy the final four and go get some winners. <laughs>